So it looks like uh, it's 11, so we are uh, live now. Uh, so I'll do the introduction. So uh, welcome everyone uh, to Dresha. Uh, this is the first class in this uh, multi-week uh, series on navigating uh, the employer-employee relationship. In this series, we will explore a number of topics that address the nature of the employer-employee relationship, highlighting the rights and responsibilities of both sides. Among others, we will address the halachic perspective um, uh, on multiple employment, unionization, strikes, quitting, and paying workers on time. Uh, as work has moved uh, remote for many during the, uh, the pandemic, uh, and others are hesitant uh, to return to their job still for a variety of reasons, uh, the world is rethinking what it means to be an employer or an employee. So perfect timing for this class. Uh, it is also my pleasure to introduce uh, Rabbi Jonathan Ziering uh, here with us today. Uh, Rabbi Ziering is a RAM and the educational coordinator at Yeshivat Migdal HaTorah. Rabbi Ziering received semicha from Rabbi uh, Isaac Elhanan Theological Seminary at Yeshiva University. Uh, he also received an MA in Jewish Philosophy from uh, Bernal Revel uh, Graduate School and a BA from the Honors Program at the Yeshiva College of Yeshiva University. Rabbi Ziering uh, studied at Yeshiva Har Etzion and continued his learning there as a member of uh, Kolel Gavoa. He was also a fellow at the Tikva Fund and Center for Modern Torah Leadership's uh, Summer Bet Midrash. Rabbi Ziering has previously served as Sgan Rosh Kolel of the Yeshiva University Torah Mitzion Beit Midrash Sichron Dov and as the rabbinic assistant of BAYT in Toronto. He has taught in many contexts uh, in the US, Canada, and in Israel, uh, focusing particularly on the Alachic process. Uh, we're so thankful uh, to have him with us. And just a, a little note to our uh, guest today, um, we encourage you to turn on your video if you are uh, able to, uh, understood if, uh, if not, but we would really like to uh, feel like we're together uh, as a class. Uh, also, uh, please, uh, as always, feel free to ask questions uh, or comment. Uh, you can write your questions in the chat box uh, here on Zoom or as a comment if you're watching us uh, live on Facebook. Hello to you as well. Uh, and uh, with that, I'll turn this to uh, Rabbi Ziering. Uh, thank you so much, Evie. Um, it's uh, it's great to be back um, teaching for Drisha. Um, I was very excited when uh, when Rizukia reached out to me um, and told me that the uh, the topic for the the spring was uh, was work. Um, so as uh, as Evie mentioned in the description of the course, um, I know some of the other uh, the other classes going on um, during the spring are focusing on uh, on the philosophy of work. Um, are focusing on um, are focusing on um, uh, work as it relates to uh, to Shabbat um, and and many other aspects of uh, of the Torah's perspective um, on employment. Um, we're going to be focusing on, um, on on some practical more practical halachic issues. Um, I will try to point to some of the broader philosophical issues um, as well. Um, though I was told by Rezukir to focus on the more on the on the halakha as some of the other classes will be dealing with uh, philosophy more directly um and uh, and I, you know as we as we mentioned in the description um you know halakha has a lot to say about um the employer employee relationship both in terms of the responsibilities of employers to their employees as well as the responsibilities of employees to their employers um and um that's a little bit complicated by the fact that much of halakha itself uh, integrates, um, as we'll see, 
um, custom. Um, so there's the objective data of, uh, of halacha and what halacha would say in, let's say, a, uh, a purely halachic society with, with no established um, practice um, and, uh, and you know, norms around employment. Um, and then there's what halacha does when it's embedded um, in a broader society that has, uh, has norms. Um, but we're going to try to take different uh, issues and explore uh, what halacha's perspective um, is on this, uh, on this relationship um, between employers and employees. Um, and, um, you know, as we said, this is one of those issues that um, as much as halacha has in the classic literature um, about employment, let's say, in the time of the Gemara or even in the medieval period or the modern period, um, it has to respond um, in each generation as things change. Um, and in the last, you know, two, two, two and a half years, however, however long you, uh, we've been in this on an, you know, waves of, uh, of, of this pandemic um, and, and um, you know, virtual um, work has become more common um, and companies and employees are, are rethinking um, how they want to work, where they want to work. Um, what they're comfortable with in terms of, of salaries, in terms of, uh, of um, schedule and the like, um, it's really a good time to return to uh, the halachic issues to get guidance as the world really think, rethinks um, the, the nature of, uh, of employment, of work. Um, so that's what we're going to do in the next, uh, in the next six weeks. Um, so what we're going to start with today, and I'll share the screen, but the sources have, already been, have also been, uh, been sent out. Um, is um, this was the issue that I think, um, you know, in many ways was, uh, you know, I mean, more recently, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about that minimum wage, um, but already I remember um, towards the, you know, a year or a year and a half ago, um, people started talking about um, the remote work uh, trend. Um, and as people talked about remote work, um, there began to be, um, stories popping up of people who took on more than one job because once you're at home, um, you know they you had all these uh, I don't know programmers um, and the like who would set up multiple screens um, in their uh, in their home office, let's say. Um, and while you know if they had been in the office, so you know there's the time when they're working, and there's dead time when maybe they uh, they schmooze, they converse with their um, with their coworkers, they go get, take a coffee break, um, what have you. Um, but now without commuting and without their boss watching over them, people decided that not only are they going to do remote work, um, but people began to work remotely for multiple, uh, at multiple jobs. Um, and that really raises interesting questions, um, not just about multiple employment per se, um, but about the responsibilities of, uh, of employees um, towards their employers, um, what they're responsible for in terms of, of um, time and effort maximization, um, and what halacha might say when you're taking on multiple jobs, um, maybe without telling your employer, um, especially if that might affect your um, if that might affect your work for your other uh, employer. So that's the halachic issue you want to talk about. And what we're going to try to do through this year is really, um, begin the discussion about the responsibilities. Today, we're going to focus really on the responsibilities of, uh, of the employee towards their employer. Um, in other weeks, um, 
like next week, we're going to be talking about the responsibility to pay on time. We're going to be focusing more on the responsibility of the employer towards the employee. Um, and as we go through the weeks, different halachot will, um, will focus on different sides of, uh, of this relationship. Um, but today we're going to focus mostly um, on the responsibilities of, uh, of employees to their employers. Um, so I just gave you the first source before we look at the, uh, the Torah sources. Um, I just picked up, you know, one article when you Google it. Um, but this is from uh, just Forbes. Um, last week, the Wall Street Journal reported in a, on a scintillating new remote work trend. It appears that white collar workers in industries from tech to banking to insurance say they have found a way to double their pay. Their shtick is to work two full-time jobs. Like Fight Club, the first rule for these folks is don't tell anyone and don't do too much work either. Um, so I thought that was a very succinct way of highlighting um, the issue that we're talking about, right? Because for many people, um, the motivation of working multiple jobs um, remotely is, well, they get to make more money, but it's that second line that I think really forces us to ask the halachic question, which is, right, don't do too much work either. Um, and also don't tell anyone, right? This idea that there might be something wrong, right? And it might be a way of working, let's say, less intensely than you would um, if you were in person. That highlights, I think, the, the, the extent to which there really is an ethical um, issue here, right? Because people sense that this is something their boss might not be comfortable with. Um, and, and that, I think, really forces us to ask the question, so what is your responsibility as an employee? Is there anything wrong? Right? If I'm getting my job done, right, I have to, you know, put in a report, I have to program, um, uh, you know, I have, to, I have to write code for a program, I have to get in my, um, you know, I have to get in work as whatever it might be, as a lawyer, as a, as a programmer, as an accountant, whatever the case may be. Um, is my responsibility just to get that in, or is there something more about the employer-employee relationship um, that dictates the way I use time um, and the like. So that's right, that's the ethical, halachic, um, legal question that we're uh, we're dealing with. Um, so before I go into the sources, I want to hear a little bit from from you. Um, what do you think? Right? What do you think? How do we determine um, the responsibilities of an employee? Um, how you're supposed to maximize time um, in one job, and definitely when you uh, start taking on two jobs. Um, right? What do you think? What's what's moral? What dictates it? What sources might you look at? Um, to get answers to this question, um, what do you think? I'll throw this out to, uh, um, okay, I see um, a hand up, Lies, Lisa, Lisa it's, Brown? It's pronounced Lisa, hi. Lisa, hi. Yeah, hi. So I'll start my video, sure. Um, so this might be off topic, so forgive me, but the first thing that comes to mind is pay equity. So people are working two jobs because they're not getting paid enough for the one that they have. Okay, right. So, so one of the right. So I, I think that's it's entirely on point, right? That one of the questions, the background is, um, is does it change if does does the does the ethical or legal question change based on the motivation for let's say taking on two jobs, right? So. Um, would you think that the that the halachic or ethical issue is different if you had somebody who, let's say, is making a very good salary, um, but they want to make more, right? They they're very highly paid. Um, they just happen to be, you know, they're I don't know a computer programmer and they're really really fast. Um, so uh, you know they um, you know let's say they worked for they work for Google, right? So if they were at Google, right? Google 
in the office has all types of things to encourage people to, to think creatively and come up with new things. And they have, you know, your free, free hours and all that stuff so that you can um, produce new things. Um, but when you're not in the office, you know, whatever, you could get your technical job done um, and then, you know, go and take a second job for, or I don't know, um, for, for Amazon, for Facebook, right? I have two very well-paying jobs. That's one instance. Um, and then there's the question of someone who um, is working, you know, <laughs> right, is, is barely making ends meet. And when they were in person, so, you know, they, they struggled as much as they could. And, uh, you know, even though there was dead time at work, um, they couldn't get another job because they were stuck at work. Um, but now, you know, they're making their uh, $12 an hour, um, which is not enough. So they take on another job at the same time, right? Those might be different questions, 100%. Deborah, oh, great to see you. How are you? So, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, sorry. So I feel like the, we need to address the question of whether the employer has a right to anything other than what they paid me to do, because I don't belong to the employer. Good. So exactly as Deborah says, right, in the background, right, the question assumes a certain responsibility towards the worker that goes beyond what they asked me to do. Um, and that's a, right, that's an interesting question. Is that true? Um, so what might it depend on, Deborah? Right? What? What? In what case would you think it obviously they only they, my employer my employee employer only deserves let's say what I committed to? In what case might that not be the case? So the uh, the very one end of the spectrum would be where the employer is not really an employer, but they're a customer, and you know they brought me a shirt to be dry cleaned. And they come back three days later and I give them back their dry cleaning. They don't have a right to anything except a clean shirt. It's none of their business what else I did in the intervening three days. At the very other end of the spectrum, suppose I employ a housekeeper whose job it is to do a very long list of things that's probably longer than it's possible to accomplish in the day. Probably she's going to be doing stuff for me all day. But I feel like there's a lot of stuff in the middle there. Right. So I think you're definitely right. Right now in, in halacha, as we'll see, some people will distinguish between, um, uh, you know, at the extremes, what we would, you know, the, uh, right, the, the dry cleaning case, which is definitely, in, you know, in halacha, a kablan, right, which is a, a contract worker where I'm hired for a job where, yeah, when I'm hired for a job, who cares what I do, right? If I say I'm going to get it to you by Tuesday, who cares whether that means I'm going to do it in the next three hours, I'm going to do it in the next, you know, whatever, whenever I told you, I'll get it to you, but you don't care, Right. Um, and then there's someone who I hired, right, you know, do everything you can in the next eight hours, um, you know, and then they're in between cases, you're 100% right, I mean, there's the, you know, and we'll see the difference between Powell and Kablan, right, between someone who's hired for by the hour and someone who's hired by the task, but the complexity is going to be, right, even within that distinction, yeah, there are things um, in the middle, and, and you're 100% right, they, that is going to be, um, is going to be relevant. Um, you know, I, I, you know, as it is, there's a lot of sources, but I'll, you know, I'll throw out there um, on a psychological level, a complicating factor. It's, a, there's a, you know, it's a, um, Dan Ariely likes writing about this in many places um, where he notes that even when it comes to, uh, to, leave, to, let's say, what halacha will call a kablan, right? Someone who's hired to do a task um, like dry cleaning. Um, as much as at some level, you know, we acknowledge that all I, you know, when I hired someone to dry clean my shirt, all I want is my shirt. And I don't care how much time it takes you. And I don't care what you do, um, as long as you get it by when you committed to. Um, psychologically, we don't actually believe that, right? And he, you know, he, he has this case that he writes about in several places of the locksmith, right? Where they've done studies where if you have a locksmith 
who is just starting off and it takes him an hour to, to change your lock because uh, he's not good at what he does and he has to take it out and put it back in um, five times. Um, often people will tip the, uh, the locksmith um, because, wow, you worked so hard, right? Um, whereas the expert locksmith who gets it right on the first, uh, on the first try and then demands the exact same payment, um, people are like, what chutzpah? How can you charge me you know, $100 for five minutes of work? Um, and it, it doesn't help how many times the locksmith protests and said, I'm not paying, you're not paying me for five minutes of work. You're paying me for 30 years of experience and five minutes of work to get it right. Um, right. So at some level, as much as, you know, we say that by right, um, when you hire someone for a task, it doesn't matter. Um, as long as you get the task done, psychologically, we don't actually think that way. Um, now that, you know, specifically when we talk about the psychology, um, that's interesting when you start talking about remote work, because if the problem is psychological and not like, if you ask me in a rational state, um, do you really think that the incompetent locksmith deserves more money because it takes him more time than the expert locksmith? So rationally, I would say no, but emotionally, right? I feel better spending $100 in an hour than $100 in five minutes. Um, you know, in remote work, the equivalent might actually be relevant because since I'm not seeing it, I can think rationally, right? So maybe, um, right? So maybe that actually is, is relevant and that would be an interesting um, sort of angle to take. Um, um, you know, especially to the extent that we think psychology and the implied agreement uh, is going to be relevant, which is something that we will see. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's dive a little bit into sources. So um, before we get to multiple employment, right, as I said, multiple employment is really in many ways um, an expression of the larger question of responsibilities of employees to their employers. Um, and at first glance, when you first look at the sources that are quoted in classic sources, the Too demands cool. are really... Here, I'll tell what you did. Okay. Oh, it's... I accidentally, uh, John, um, Rabbi Zirin, can you uh, un unmute, please? Muted me. Okay. You yeah, can hear sorry. me now? I'm unmuted uh, yeah. now? Uh -huh. Okay. Thank um, you. So the, uh, the amazing thing is that when you start with the classic sources, um, they are really, they seem really demanding. Um, and going back to Lisa's question before, um, at first glance, the halacha really doesn't care about the, um, doesn't seem to care about the question of, uh, of why you might want to work um, extra jobs, um, you know, about the, about how ethically your employer is treating you. Um, I, I will let, you know, let's just put it on the table and then we'll see whether this plays out, how, how this plays out la halacha. Um, but the paradigmatic case that many of the posts can quote, that many of the authorities quote, is this is the story from Yaakov. So Yaakov, we know, is in a um, uh, how do we say this? A very unhealthy uh, employee-employer relationship with his father-in-law, um, right? There aren't many examples of more unhealthy relationships, right? He he first worked for seven years um, for Rachel. Um, his love and tricks him and makes him marry Leah and then tricks him into working for another seven years. Uh, and then he works for six more years to get money, um, to get animals. And uh, as Yaakov describes it, um, as we'll see, Lavan changed his, his, um, the deal um, 10 or tens of times. And despite that, Yaakov, at the end of their, um, you know, when he's running away and Lovin says, why'd you run away? And he says, well, because you're horrible. And, you know, what choice did I have? I said, get out of here. Um, despite that, right, despite the basically abusive relationship that, that he's in with Lovan, Yaakov attests to the fact that he was always 
committed ethical be, went beyond above and beyond to be honest and put in every every bit of effort and for Lavan. And this is what he says, right? In in uh, this is in Breshit Lamad Aleph in source two. Va'atena yidaten. Right. So first he says to his wives, right, when he's deciding to run away, listen, you know that I worked for your father hard as with all my effort, with all my might. And your father tricked me and he switched my salary 10 times. But God was the only thing that stopped him from actually taking advantage of me or stopped it from being as even worse than it already was. Um, so it's really bad, right? So if we're talking about, you know, why is someone, um, le let's say less than 100% committed, Yaakov, on a, you know, intuitively, we're like, Lovin doesn't deserve Yaakov's mm, commitment. And yet, when Yaakov is talking to Lovin, he says, If an animal died, right, was torn up by beasts, I never brought it to you. I took the loss. I made good the loss you exacted it of me. Whether it was stolen in the day or at night. Right, I was eaten up by the scorching heat during the day. You know, I, I don't know how hot it was. I mean, what is this? Uh, you know, you know, I. That part of the, 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 you know, the world can be really hot. I mean, I, I thought Israel was hot. Over last, last year, I, I, managed, I went um, on an amazing trip with, with, uh, with, with my yeshiva story for another time to, uh, to Dubai and Abu Dhabi for a few days. Um, I've never experienced heat like that in my life, right? Abu Dhabi, we went, the day we went to visit the Grand Mosque was 117 degrees. Um, you know, he said that I was scorched in the day, right? I was the... Um, if you ever make it to Dubai, right, there's a Holocaust museum there and the director is Israeli. And the way she described it, and this sort of puts it in perspective, she said, there are two seasons, Yishteonot be Dubai, right? There are only two seasons in Dubai, Kayitz, right? There's summer, the Gehinom, and hell, right? That's it, right? So that's what Yaakov is describing, right? It's 120 degrees, right? And at night it's freezing, it's the desert, right? I didn't sleep, right? So you look at this pasuk and you're like, what exactly, right? Yaakov is saying, on the one hand, Lavan is a horrible employer. But on the other hand, I went above and beyond. I worked day and night, hot, cold, right? If things were stolen, I, I took the loss. And you look at this and you're like, is that really what, um, is that really what an employer uh, deserves that an employee is responsible to, right? Is that, is that what they deserve? Um, and amazingly, um, the Rambam, takes Yaakov as the paradigm. He says, yes, um, if you want to look at three, I'll just read the English. Um, just as the employer is warned against robbing the wage of a poor workman, right? Obviously, and we're going to talk about that next week, um, right? Obviously, the employer has responsibilities to his employee. He has to pay on time. He can't steal it. He can't delay it. So is the poor workman warned against robbing the employer by idling away his time on the job, a little here, a little there, thus wasting the day deceitfully. He must be scrupulous the, throughout the time of work, also, he's required to work to the best of his ability. As the upright Jacob said, I have served your father with all my strength. For this reason, he was rewarded even in this world, as it is written, the man became exceedingly rich, right? And the Raman takes Yaakov, of all people, as the paradigm, right? So he takes this relationship. He said, listen, you know, I know, I know that 
Yaakov and love, right? Lavan is not exactly the the um, you know the employ the employer that we look up to and say that he deserves on a moral level the loyalty of his worker. Um, and yet, and yet, um, this becomes the paradigm, right? This becomes the paradigm. So if you just read it rhetorically, um, it's very strong, right? It says, listen. The, the employer can't steal from the employee. And again, we're going to talk about the next week in terms of salary um, and paying salary and time um, and the like. Um, but on the other hand, even though he acknowledges that the employer is, um, is clearly richer than the employee, um, still, he says it doesn't justify him stealing, which he defines as wasting his time. Right? Um, and that is a very striking statement. Because if Yaakov and Lavan, we can say, yes, you're not allowed to waste time, and that's theft, which is parallel to the employer who's clearly in the position of power, um, stealing the wages of the employee, Halacha clearly takes the responsibilities of the employee under certain circumstances, which we have to figure out, um, his responsibility to maximize his effort and time really, really seriously. Um, and that is, you know, again, rhetorically, that's very, very um, striking. Um, and if we run through the next um, stor stories, um, we'll see that this is a common theme in the Gemara. The Gemara really does seem to demand a very high level of responsibility from the employee to the employer. Um, so um, to run through the next stories a bit more quickly, um, the Gemara number four, um, when discussing these six questions that God asks you when you go to heaven, um, Right, God boils down the, the six things he wants to ask you, um, right, of all the Torah. These are the first things that God is interested in. So one of them is, Bishash Machnisen Adam Ladin, Omrimlo, and I cut off one word, right? Nasata Vinatata Ve'amuna. I can probably write that in by, by um, from memory, right? Did you conduct business faithfully? Uh, and what does it mean faithfully? So the Gemara in Makot says, Poel Tzedek, what does it mean to work righteously or with righteousness? Abachilkiahu. It's like Abachilkiah. So what's Ab who's Abachilkiah? What does it mean? So if you look at the Gemara in Tanit um, 23 and number six, I'll read the story in English. Abachilkiah was the son of Choniam Agel's son. He's his grandson. And when the world was in need of rain, they would send sages to him. And he would pray for mercy and rain would fall. Once the world was in need of rain, and the sages sent a pair of sages, uh, a pair of sages to him, so they would pray for mercy and rain would fall. They went to his house, but they did not find him there. They went to the field and found him hoeing the ground. They greeted him, but he did not return their greetings. Right, so it's a miracle story. Abachilkiah can bring rain if he prays. So they, there's a there's a drought. They send the sages to him, and they approach him while he's working, and they say, "Good morning, Abachilkiah," and he says nothing. So later on, the story continues. He goes back home, he prays for rain, the rain comes, and the sages say to him, okay, can you explain what is going on, right? We know that the rain has come on master's account. However, let the master please say and explain to us these aspects of your behavior that are puzzling to us. What is the reason that when we greeted the master, the master did not return our greeting, right? Why didn't you say, hello? He said to them, I'm a day laborer. When we greeted them, um, Hired for the day, and I said to myself that I may not delay my work to answer you. Because I work for somebody else, I'm an employee. And if I said good morning, right, that would be stealing time. Right. Now that is a very high standard, really, right? I'm I'm hired for an eight-hour workday. So if I say good morning, that's theft, but that's what the Gemara says or seems to say. 
And what is the reason the master of Kaira? The firewood um, on one shoulder and his cloak on the other shoulder, right? So the story continues that he was schlepping wood and he put it on his bare shoulder um, rather than on his cloak. Um, he said to them, it was a borrowed robe. I borrowed it for the, this purpose, meaning to wear it. I did not borrow it for that purpose, to place wood on it. Um, now, it's not clear whether um, Abba Chilkia, um is following the, the, you know, the technical requirements of the law. Um, you know, I think most of us, if we borrowed a piece of clothing, um, the person probably understands that I might put something on my shoulder. I mean, I'm not just wearing it to, you know, I'm not just going to wear it. I might, you know, I don't know, I'm carrying my, my baby and I'm holding, I'm holding the, you know, my twins on my, on my clothes. Right. I'm not, you know, don't expect that I'm going to like carry them out like this with my hands in front of me. So they're not on my shoulder. Um, I assume. Um, so it could be that Abba you know, is going beyond the letter of the law, but still, right. Still, even if it's above, it's above and beyond to say that two words is a, is theft is violation of the contract with the employee. Again, that seems to set the standard um, extremely, extremely high. Um, and if I stopped here, um, if I just stopped here and I said, okay, so this is the standard of time management at work um, is you can't even say an extra two words. Um, I think most of us would say, okay, this doesn't look good for the possibility of multiple employment. I mean, that is a bigger, um, that's a bigger in, in, you know, um, intrusion into my work life that I am, you know, both a, uh, I, I don't know, I'm both a, a teacher of Torah and on the side while I'm, you know, you don't know, but while I'm zooming on this year, I have a second computer right next to me and I am, um, you know, I am a day trader for someone else, right? And I am, um, I'm not, um, but, uh, but you know, whatever, right? Um, that would seem to be out of bounds if even saying good morning is considered stealing of time. Um, and, you know, lest you think that this is only when it comes to saying good morning, um, the Gemara takes it farther. The Gemara takes it farther, and even in ritual contexts, um, this idea that the employer, um, the, the employee owes the employer maximal, in, you know, maximal time, um, it means that, that even God is willing to, so to speak, forego his claim on the commitment of the employer, of the employee uh, to not steal from the, uh, from the, employee, from the employer. Um, and I gave you um, the case here in, in seven, where the Gemara says as follows, um, and then I'll, I'll stop for questions after I at least get this source out there. Um, workers who are on the top of a tree, um, you know, whatever, they are, they're harvesting um, uh, apples, right? So they climbed up to the top of the tree and they're throwing down the apples. I don't know. Um, so uh, they're allowed to say Shema, right? It, it comes the time of Shema, so they say it up in the tree. Um, or if they're on the top of a stone wall. Um, but it comes time for the, for the Amida, for Shema Nasrei, where you have to stand and concentrate. They have to go down from the tree and they can stand. Um, so in that context, um, the, um, right, the Gemara goes through. Um, so why is this the case? Right? Why is it that right? It's clear that the concentration that the worker has up in the tree or up on the top of the stone wall is not ideal. So why do we not say go down even for Shema? Right? Shema is pretty important. 
You know, it's pretty important. You're accepting the yoke of God. Um, you know, it's important. Um, so why is it that we say stay in the tree, only come down for, for the Amidah? Um, so the, so the Gemara clarifies, and the Gemara says, Tanu Rabbanan, ha'umanin korim b'roshi ilan, b'roshi inbach, u'midpalin b'rosh ha'zayit, u'b'rosh ha'te'ina, u'shar kalinot yorundin lemata u'midpalin. So the, these workers, these laborers, they recite Shema on top of the tree, and if it's a big tree, which is safe to stand on, so they can even dive in the Amidah up there, um, but otherwise they have to come down. Ubalabayit, but if you work for yourself, but if you are the employer, right, or you're self-employed, then you always have to come down even for Shema. So already the Gemara tells you that you're right. This is not ideal. This is not the ideal Shema you're going to have, but it doesn't matter because apparently your responsibility as an employee overrides your responsibility to God um, to have maximal intent during um, during Shema. Um, and once the Gemara has established that, right, that your that your responsibility to God can be minimized because of your because of what you owe your employer. At the end of the Gemara, the Gemara says, "Vahatanya poalim sheosin melacha itzal balabayit korin kriyachma mitbalin veochlen pitan veein mevarchen lefanea." Workers who are working for somebody else. So they read Shema, they, they daven, they say the Amidah, um, they eat their bread, um, they don't bless before, but they do afterwards. But Birkat Mazon, which is a biblical blessing, one of the only ones, they don't say the full Birkat Mazon. Ketzad, Bracha, Rishonah, Ketid, Kuna, right? Biblically, there are three blessings, and then there's a rabbinic fourth one. They only say two. How? They say the first blessing in its entirety. And then they have a hybrid of the second and third blessing. And they ignore the fourth one entirely, which is uh, rabbinic. They just skip the rabbinic, um, the rabbinic blessing. Um, so, right, this is an amazing law, right? That so much is there uh, this responsibility from the employer, uh, from the employee to the employer, that they don't say Shema in the maximal way, and they take the biblical blessing of Birkat Amazon and they say it in like a abridged way, right? They're allowed to eat on the job, right? They're allowed to have lunch, but it's not like you know they get a half hour lunch break. You eat, you say the most abbreviated Birkat Amazon you can get away with, and you know that is your um, and that is your responsibility to your employer. Um, and this is this is ruled legally and Shulchan Aruch by Rabbi Yosef Karo um, um, in number eight um, and uh, and number nine. Um, okay, so let's pause there, right? So what we have now is right um, this the statement of Yaakov, right, about Yaakov, which seems to set up um, a really harsh standard. Um, for, of what is demanded of an employee to his employer, even a bad employer. We have the very demanding standard of Abba Chilko that implies that even saying good morning um, might be considered stealing time. Um, and then you have this idea that so um, entrenched is this responsibility from the employee to the employer that even God will waive 
uh, his demands for an ideal Shema um, and for a maximal um, Birkat Amazon, a, a, a maximal grace after meals. So um, reactions, right? What do you think, right? Um, what do you think about that? Um, what do you think the, the, let's say, balance might be um, to this, right? What is your reaction to whether this is law, um, to whether this goes too far, um, and again, to what balancing um, factors might fill out the, uh, the, the picture um, of, of what exactly an employee owes his employer in terms of time management, um, and definitely, right, as we said, even the more striking case of, of multiple employment. Um, what do you think? Uh, Lisa again, yeah. I'm wondering, I mean, particularly in the, in the story of Yaakov, I mean, there's a real overlap with being a servant and being a worker, um, you know, being a slave, you know, so I, that's not clear to me. Um, um, yeah, so that is a really striking, that is a really striking point, right? That um, amazingly, as we will, as, as we will see um, in the third week, I think, maybe third week, um, yeah. Right, the line between servant and worker is on the one hand very, very sharp in halacha, um, and on the other hand, um, not so sharp. And sometimes we really derive things from from servant cases to employee cases. Um, and in the Yaakov case, um, it almost sounds like, yeah, like he was basically an indentured servant. And it's amazing that we take that unhealthy indentured servitude as a model for employment in any way. Um, I agree with you, right? It's a really, it's striking and and really in many ways hard to drop your heads around it because it doesn't seem like a normal employment. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with that 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 intuition. Um, um, okay, um, any other comments now or should we? Okay, so... So let me, you know, again, there's a lot of sources and we don't necessarily read through everything. I, you know, I, I once heard many years ago from, uh, from Ray, uh, Kenny Brander um, that there are two types of source sheets, um, right? There's source sheets that you mean to cover um, in the shear in the class. And then there are source sheets where your goal in the class is to get people excited about a topic. Um, so you put more sources on the sheet than you reasonably think you'll cover so that people, if they feel interested, have more um, to look at after the, the class. So I, I tend to, um, especially when it were on Zoom and I don't feel bad for the trees, um, I err on that side. Um, when I'm printing it, not so much, but on Zoom, you know, whatever. It's a, so it's a longer, it's a longer PDF. Um, and on that note, if, if at any point you want more sources, um, I, I probably should have done this at the beginning, but I'm happy to provide more reading. Um, there are really some excellent books uh, that are out there, both in English and Hebrew, that deal with these um, issues at varying levels of complexity in halacha, um, you know, just to pause for a second, if you want a very accessible um, English book, um, which is really excellent in terms of general philosophy, um, Christian philosophy, and Jewish philosophy and halacha, um, I know it's going to come up backwards for you, but um, um, by the sweat of your brow, reflections on work and the workplace in classic Jewish thought by David Schnall um, is a really nice is a really nice um, a place to start. Um, in Mishpat Evri, there are much more complicated things. Uh, Zerach Warhaftig wrote a very, very complicated um, but excellent um, book, but that I think is more something like a thousand pages um, in Hebrew um, and very complicated Hebrew. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to provide more sources at any point. So you can email me um, 
people who've learned with me before know that I'm really open to emailing me, um, WhatsApping me, calling me. Um, you know, last year, people really did take me up on that. And I had many hours of conversation in between classes. So I'm, I'm really happy to do that. Um, okay, but returning to the sources. So, so what might balance this out? Um, and I think in a nutshell, what would balance it out is the following. Um, there's the question of, in theory, what can an employer demand? And then there's the question of what should they demand? And um, if society has gotten to the point where nobody accepts, let's say, the love on model, um, does that mean that no one's allowed to demand the love on model, right? So again, there's the question of can versus, um, right, can in theory demand versus should demand. And then the question of what happens when society changes to reflect, let's say, a more human um, standard, right? A more ethical, more balanced, a more reasonable standard. Um, how does that change uh, the picture? Um, and the simple answer is a lot because <clears throat> the number one rule in employer-employee relationship that comes up over and over and over throughout all the different topics um, in halacha about employment is that minhag hamakom, the custom, the norms where you live um, shape what can be actually demanded um, in practice. Um, and this is, and you see this in the ritual cases, and you see it in terms of the mundane. So I'm going to run through a bunch of sources here. But for example, Mishnah Brura says, um, in, in sorry, number nine, right? Shulchan Aruch says that um, when it comes to the Amidah, from the strict letter of the law, your employer can demand that you say the abridged um, Shmona Asrei, Havinenu, um, so that you don't daven for five minutes, you daven for two minutes. Um, but Shulchan Aruch says nowadays it's not normal to care about this. And presumably they were hired having in mind they would pray the Shemona Asrei. Shulchan Aruch says that's very nice. That was once true. I don't know why it was true. I don't know if employees were worse. I don't know if money was tighter so people couldn't afford 30 seconds off. I don't know what it was, but no one cares about it anymore. So now um, the assumption is you can daven, you can pray fully. Now, the Mishnah Brura um, so the Shulchan Aruch doesn't explain what happens if your employee employer is actually crazy and says, no, I don't want you to take the extra two minutes. Um, it implies that if you really cared or she really cared, then you wouldn't be allowed to pray the full Shmona Asrei, the full Amidah. That's what he implies. Um, but he says that that's not the custom. And therefore, unless you know otherwise, you don't have to worry about it. You can daven longer. It's fine. Um, Mr. Brura adds in 10, that you could even be the chazan, even though, as we know, the person who leads the prayers takes a few extra minutes. The Magen Avram says you can even go to shul, right? You could go to synagogue if that's the custom, right? Um, if that's the custom, you're allowed. Um, I probably should have moved this up. Now, say for, you know, chasidim, um, going on the other, the other side of what's demanded, um, right, is quite, um, is quite striking. He says that you shouldn't even sit um, near a, a, a uh, employer, uh, sorry, an, employ an employee because you might distract them, right? So even like the people around have to be sensitive of this. Um, Misila Isharim has this long piece 
um, really putting a lot of these sources together, right? Our sages of blessed memory also said stealing from another person is worse than stealing from temple property. Um, and then it quotes, right, that you don't say the full um, grace after meals, you don't say full benching, it brings the story of Abba Chilkia, um, and says that the summary of the matter um, is that one who is hired out to his fellow for any kind, behold, all of his hours are sold to his employee for the workday, as the sages say, to hire oneself out is to sell oneself for the day, right? This goes back to Lisa's point, right? That Sefer Hasidim says, you know what really under, undergirds this, this idea that you owe every second? You're sort of a slave for the day. You know, you've sold yourself for the day. Um, and, um, right, and that really, you know, that really typifies that side of the equation. Um, okay, but as I said, the counter to this really is minhag, is custom. And if that's not normal, so then Shulchan Aruch says, if it's not normal, don't worry, right? Un unless you hear otherwise, don't worry about it. But certain poskim go farther. And the Archa Shulchan, Rabbi Chiel Michal Epstein, writing in the late 19th, early 20th century, goes farther and he says, it's not just that. It's not just that if the custom is otherwise, you can assume unless you hear otherwise that your employer doesn't care. Um, your employer isn't allowed to care, right? Your employer isn't allowed to care, um, at least in the case of the ritual cases. And therefore, both in the laws of, uh, of prayer, of the Amidah in 14, um, and the laws of Birkat Amazon, um, he either raises a possibility, but then he ends up ruling on it, that nowadays, because it's not normal, because the average employ employer allows people to take breaks, right? Take five-minute breaks to pray, to eat, to breathe. Even if your employer came to you and said, no, I want you to every last minute, Right, I know that the Talmud says that you can shorten your uh, your graze after meals, and I want you to do the two minute version and not the five minute version. The Aruch Hashulchan says no, custom is not like that, and people don't have the right to essentially to be crazy. Right, if that's what not what anybody does. Right, um, and that's not normal. Then an employer can't demand it from you. Right, um, and therefore if um, you know, now that, that doesn't mean that, um, right now the Aruch HaShulchan balances it in 16 and he says, although the Talmud's exemption of workers from prayer is no longer applicable, this law shows us how careful an employee must be with the, with the employer's time. One must take great care with this, right? Um, right, so he says, listen, in practice nowadays, what you should look at is the story of Yaakov and, and Abba Chilkia should be there to remind you that you really owe your employer maximum effort. That's what you owe him. But in practice, right, um, the, if the world is such that no one expects that, then your employer can't demand that from you. So the reason we still tell these stories about Yaakov and Abba Chilkia is to is um, aspirational rather than than legal, let's say, right? Which is I don't know if aspirational is even the right word, but basically to remind you, listen, don't waste time. Um, and I gave you, you know certain you know you can look in seventeen um, and eighteen um, that if you know if you Google, you'll see that um, there is a lot written from the vantage point of of uh, of HR. 
um, of, uh, you know, in, in terms of employee-employee relationships, how you balance, on the one hand, the idea that an employee has to work um, with um, and not waste time, and on the other hand, reasonability, um, right? So there are all these suggestions on, right, how do you handle personal calls at work, right? And if you just see the summary, right, it's check company policy, but also follow common courtesy, right? The employee should, on the one hand, listen, company, some companies are stricter, some are less, the employee should obviously know the law, but you also should have common courtesy. Remember, you have a job, right? And it says, right, if necessary, let your family and friends know your work hours, right? Meaning there, there are implications to this, right? We all understand that nowadays it's probably acceptable to take a one or two or maybe in five minute phone call if necessary. And if you know there's an emergency at home, so take a phone call. And we all understand that it's really not right, especially if you have a job to do to, uh, I don't know, take a half hour call just for fun, right? We don't do that. Um, so, right, what we have so far is on the one hand, the, the um, on the books, in theory, the employer can demand every last second, and that will affect your ritual obligations, that will affect everything. In practice, um, that may not be what should be expected. And if it's not the norm, then either, um, you don't have to assume that it is. Um, or possibly, according to the Arach HaShulchan, your employer doesn't even have the right to demand um, that you live up to that theoretical uh, standard. Um, right? And what you see is this negotiation right, between a recognition that to be an employee comes with certain responsibilities. You really, you know, you've committed to a job um, and you have to do that as best as you can. Um, with a recognition of there's a custom, there's a custom, there's a world that we live in, there's a context in which we live, um, and there's some mutual understanding um, from the perspective of the employer that is uh, that is relevant. Um, now, the truth is that this is just about time at work, but moving now in um, you know now that we've set up the principles, we can understand that. This obviously is going to raise very serious questions for accepting multiple employment. Um, and here, there's two questions, right? One question is, if it actually takes up time when you're supposed to be working in your other job, right? The second is not quantitative, but qualitative, right? What if I really can maximize my time? Let's say I'm not taking... Um, two consecutive jobs, but I'm taking a day job and a night job, right? So I'm not competing with, uh, with um, my employer technically during work hours, but I am um, potentially weakening myself, right? I'm exhausted. I have an all night job and then I don't function as well. Even though I'm working a full eight hour day during the day, I'm half asleep the whole day, right? So we need to ask not just the quantitative question, but also the qualitative question, right? Can I take multiple employment if it diminishes the quality of my work, right? There's a, um, I was thinking about this um, of a scene for those who, who watched The Office. Um, there is a, a scene where Michael Scott, an episode where the premise is that Michael Scott, even though he's the, the manager of the company, isn't making enough money because he's really bad at, at finances and has, you know, bought, expensive cars and expensive whatever and and his 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 girlfriend loses her job and has expensive tastes and whatever so he takes a night job um 
at a call center. Um, and then his boss comes in and, you know, he's falling asleep during a presentation and his boss says, what, what, you know, what are you doing? He says, well, I have a job at night. Um, but I promise you, it won't affect the quality at work. He says it already is. You're falling asleep, right, during the presentation, right? So either you have to quit that job or, you're, or I'm going to fire you here, right? There is this idea that, you know, multiple employment, even not simultaneous, um, can affect the quality. So what does halacha say about that? Uh, so here, um, halacha is actually really um, striking. Um, and Shulchan Aruch says in, in number 19, a worker is not permitted to work at night and hire himself out during the day. Um, you're not allowed to do that, right? If you are going to have two jobs and it's going to affect the quality of your work, even if it's not consecutive, even if it's consecutive and not, right, not simultaneous, doesn't matter, right? You're not allowed to do something that is going to make it that your eight hours at work are the, are the um, you know, equivalent of four hours of good work. You can't do that. You can't even, he says, you may not starve or torture himself, right? He's not even allowed to fast, right? If it's going to make you weak, right? And you decide, you know, I'm going to go on a, I don't know, a, um, a liquids only diet because it, it will make me lose weight, right? And that means you're weak um, and you can't do your job. You can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. Um, if you get food from work, right? You know, with the assumption that, you know, you'll have a good meal at work and it'll give you strength. You can't say, I'm not eating. I'm giving it to, to my kids because you're being given the food. So you're strong. It's theft of the work of his employer, since he will be physically and mentally weakened and will be able to do the work for his employer, and he will be unable to do the work for his employer with strength. Just as an employer is warned that he may must not steal his employee's wages, nor may he delay paying them, so too the worker is warned that he may not steal the work of his employer and relax a little here and a little there. Um, so here going, and then again, he quotes the Yaakov thing. Um, so here Shulchan adds that it's not just that you owe quantity, you owe quality. Um, and again, that's even for consecutive employment, right? That if I work at a day job and I take a night job, which is gonna make me less effective during the day, that is a problem. So between the demands of time and the demands of quality, um, you know, at first glance, you would say um, that multiple employment at the same time, right? Um, which it might affect quality and might affect um, quantity also, right? Might affect how much time you're working and how good your work is. Um, that really should be problematic. Um, I gave you here in 20 that there's some post who even um, wonder whether you're allowed to be on a diet for cosmetic purposes when you're employed. Um, that I seem is a bit, you know, that's a bit far reaching. I'm not, I'm not sure that, that most post would agree to that, um, but there are some who, uh, who raise it. Um, right, and this is, and this is quoted. Um, okay. Um, now it, it, I, I'm going to skim through a little bit here. It is true that, that halacha brings down that your employer can't make you wake up earlier than it, than is normal. Um, so, um, and, and again, Shulcharach notes that like the time of work is again determined, um, by, by minute, right? By the custom of, of employers. Um, so if we take it together, so we've seen so far, um, is, on the one hand, um, in theory, the employee um, owes every minute of the time that he's employed to his worker, to his employer, um, and you're not even allowed to take consecutive employment um, if it will decrease the quality of your work. Um, taking those two factors are balanced by custom, where if people accept that 
um, that that's not what's done, that you have more flexibility, then either your employer shouldn't or might or might not be allowed to demand a higher standard. Um, but returning to now, let's say to the question of multiple employment, um, there, I think, you know, it, many, as you know, one of, much of the legal cases that were brought up um, point out that um, at least in many professions, um, it's not acceptable, um, right? It's not acceptable to have, uh, have multiple jobs. Um, and if, the, if there really is a norm that it's not acceptable, uh, so then presumably um, it is, it's not acceptable, right? Meaning you're, you're affecting the quantity and the quality uh, of your work. Um, and if let's say the custom were that you could do it, so then presumably um, you could, um, or maybe, right? You'd have to negotiate it. Um, however, um, there is a major um, thing. And I, here I gave you a bunch of uh, a few responses. I'm not gonna read them all inside, especially since we have uh, only a few minutes left. Um, but um, one of the major questions, this is what Deborah brought up, and this is really going to be, I think, the most, um, one of the most important things in the modern context um, is the question of whether this um, applies to, there's two types of workers in halacha, a poel, who's a person who works on the clock, um, and a kablan, um, who works by the job. Um, and everything we've been talking about really focuses on a poel, someone who works by the hour. Um, but what if someone works as a kablan, right? What if someone works um, as by, by the job? Um, and here, what many postgim uh, note, and I gave you, um, you know, several sources that sort of uh, work on this in different manifestations. I'm not going to read it. There's some discussion there about uh, chazanim. Um, right, Chazanim who are hired for, let's say, to Davin Musaf in one shul on Yom Kippur, can they take a, a different job for Shachrat somewhere else, knowing it'll weaken their voice, right? All types of interesting um, manifestations. But there are many postim um, who argue that um, all of this really applies by a, a poel because you aren't just hired for a specific task, um, you're hired to work as much, get as much work as you can in the eight hours that you're hired. But if you are a, if you're a kablan, if you're hired by the, um, by the job, um, so then there's no problem. As long as you get it done um, by the time that you promised that you would, um, so then it is, uh, it is fine. And that is the position of the, of the Aruch HaShulchan. Um, and it's on the source sheet that I, uh, that I put, but the Aruch HaShulchan um, argues that all of this is not true by a, by a, right, someone who's hired by the task. Um, I think where it gets really complicated in modern halacha um, is that the line is really unclear, right? The, the Archa Shulchan's distinction is somewhat intuitive, right? As Deborah said before, if I'm hired to, you know, if I'm paid to dry king clothing, so who cares what I do in the, in the meantime? You don't care. Um, I think what gets complicated is that if you accept this distinction, so then it would be fine as long as the work that I do is of the same quality and I get it in by the time I, I promise. Um, but where what's really complicated, and when you read a lot of these articles about multiple employment, um, the, the line is very unclear because for many people who work a you know, nine to five job, um, they still might be conceptualized more as a kablan. Right, it could be that their their employer more thinks about. Look, this is what I need you to do, um, 
And yeah, like more or less, you work an eight-hour day, but at some level, you might be conceptualized more as, look, these are the tasks I need you to do. I expect it'll take eight hours. And like, you know, if you were in the office and it took five hours, I might tell you to go home early. Um, I might tell you to, uh, you know, to take a break. I might tell you, um, you know, hang out with workers and, uh, you know, uh, raise the morale in the office. I don't know. Um, and when you're at home, right? So that's where things get a little bit complicated. Um, and, and as Deborah notes, this gets even more complicated if you're dealing with um, part-time work, um, where part-time work, the expectation is that you probably have other employment. Um, and especially since so much of this is, um, is you know, affected by minhag, by custom, what the norms are, um, full-time employees, the expectation might be, look, you can't do anything else that's going to take away from the quality of this work. By part-time employees, the expectation might be, listen, you know, do what you can, but, um, but I know you're taking on another job. So it's nine o'clock. So to summarize what we've seen, um, and I'm, I'll stick around for questions as much as people want. Um, and I, again, you can email me, WhatsApp me. I'll send out my WhatsApp. I don't, I don't care. Um, I'm happy to talk afterwards. Um, what we've seen is the following. In theory, halacha really demands a lot from employee. You, right, even theoretically an unethical employer, um, you know, you have to maximize your time um, because you committed to it. Um, and at some level, right, it might be you sold yourself for the day as, as Musil Isharm has it. On the other hand, that's balanced by the norm, right? The norms in the market, um, either to the point where the given, the default is that um, we don't expect that, or maybe according to the Arach HaShulchan, you're not allowed to, right? An employee, an employer can't be crazy, right? An employer has to say, listen, you know, if there's a certain expectation, then you can't demand more than that. Um, so it's balanced by custom. Um, furthermore, um, right, we, we saw that it's not just quantity of work, but it's quality. Uh, and therefore, even consecutive employment, if it really affects quality, is problematic. Um, consecutive employment that doesn't affect quality presumably is fine. Simultaneous employment, um, again, it depends. Um, at some level, whether you are paid by the hour, paid by the job, um, it also depends on how you conceptualize modern workers who might in theory be paid by the hour, but in practice, the expectation um, is that they're paid by the, by the task, by the job. Um, you also have to ask the custom, um, you know, what is the norm? Um, if it's clearly against the norm and it's affecting the quality of your work, so it's gonna be forbidden. If it's within the norm and you're basically hired by the task, Presumably, it is permitted, um, and a lot of the questions, you know, in sort of working out the the practical details, are going to be to figure out the norm in the in the field that you're in, um, and practically, is it affecting your work, the quality um, of the work? You know, what was the expectation when you were hired? Um, you know, there are certain um, you know cases we didn't get into, um, but like some of the the court cases that were brought up were government workers, where there was also um, you know security uh, involved of being on a computer. Um, you know, while you're, you know, working for things outside the government, that's obviously going to complicate things. I uh, then as Deborah notes, right, part of what you're going to have to ask is not just what is the norm in general, um, but what is the norm and what's a fair expectation within this rubric um, for part-time employees, um, where the expectation is you probably have another job, um, where there, you know, if you're a part-time employee, so the expectation is you have another job, so definitely consecutively, uh, but maybe even simultaneously, because the expectation is you're not fully committed to one employer. So, you know, there might be more flexibility there as opposed to a full-time 
uh, employee where the expectations are probably uh, more demanding. So those are um, the basic uh, basic sources. And as as you know, I hope you saw today we focused mostly on the responsibilities of the employee, right? Both in terms of quantity and quality of work. Um, but we saw that even within that context, um, there are mitigating factors that show the limitations of what an employer can sh or should uh, demand. Um, we saw the implications of um, minhag, of you know, the norms in society that, that curtail um, the theoretical um, demands that halacha could impose on you. Um, and we talked a little bit of, of the complexities in the modern um, age where the line between between a, an hourly worker and a and a task based worker um, is is not always clear um, and the possible distinction because of um, expectations um, pr um, in the workforce between full time employee employees um, and part time employees which especially given the importance of custom um, that really might affect uh, what is expected. I mean, like I said, next week, we're not going to talk about paying your workers on time, and we're really going to shift to the other side of the equation um, and really, really heavily um, begin asking what do employers owe to their employees. Um, okay, I'm a little bit over time, so we'll stop there. Um, thank you for coming. And like I said, um, I, you, you, my email is at the top of the sheet, but I will put my, um, oh, can I put a chat here? Evie, can I chat? Can I do that? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, oh, yeah, there it is. Okay. Chat. Yeah. Um, I'll just put in the chat now my, um, I won't read it out. So not, you know, so this is not like on uh, the, you know, the YouTube, but I, I will send out my uh, WhatsApp. I really, I'm serious. Last year, people took up on me. You know, you're free to send me a voice note. Um, we can arrange a time to Zoom um, outside of these hours if you have questions. Um, but I sent you my, um, my WhatsApp. Um, feel free to message me or email me if you have follow-up questions. Um, and um, I will also send out um, at the top with next week's source a bunch of uh, suggested readings uh, in general if you're interested in these uh, in these topics. Um, okay, thank you everyone for coming, and I, I'll stick around for questions um, as people want. Would you like um, to take a couple questions now before we? Uh, close yes, yes, the please. See, does anyone um, have any uh, questions? And uh, now is a great time. We'll give it a minute. We'll see if anyone. Feel free to uh, raise your hand or just unmute and ask the questions or even write them as the chat. We would love to uh, be able to, oh, there you go, uh, Lisa. Okay, Lisa, yeah. Me again. So um, I'm interested, you, you mentioned this, so I'm interested going forward into um, what's considered a fair wage, um, you know, cause that's very non-specific and how they, how, how, um, how that's decided you know, in terms of standards, local standards. Yeah, so, so, you know, so it's interesting. This is one of those areas where, um, you know, when I was going through the topics with the Rizuk here, minimum wage is a really complicated topic um, in halacha because, you know, as I said, because so much is determined by, by custom. Um, um, so I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I said fair yeah. wage. I said a fair wage, not a, not uh, a minimum wage. Right. So, so um, more difficult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, this is a really complicated question because, you know, as we're going to see, one of the, one of the real problems is that, um, you know, halacha really tries to balance between um, the employer response, employers' responsibilities to employees, employee responsibilities to employers, um, reasonability standards, right? Um, ideal 
um, ideals and pragmatic, right? Um, and, you know, fair wages is complicated because, um, you know, it, you know, there's the fair wage in theory, right? Um, there's, um, and then there's, you know, pragmatic questions. Like what if, you know, we all agreed that a wage was, um, you know, in an ideal world, the, the fair wage would be, you know, $20 an hour for this job. But, you know, if the employer paid everyone $20 an hour, they're just, the margins are too slim, they'll go out of business, right? Um, you know, fair has to be, you know, fair, like what does fair mean? Like in an ideal world, how much I'd like to pay you for the job? How much can I pay you and still afford to open the business, right? Meaning if my alternative, you know, if my, my choice is paying you, you know, what I think is not what I would like to pay you, but staying open and giving you something, right? Or closing down. Um, um, so we, we, at the moment, the plan was not to dedicate an entire class to it. We can change, you know, um, in theory, I have, you know, I have six topics planned, but I'm not married to them. Um, but it's a really hard topic because, um, Halakha doesn't really have a minimum wage. <laughs> Forget a fair wage. It doesn't really have a minimum wage. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't. Not, not an obligatory one. Again, it has custom, um, but it doesn't have one. Um, and that, you know, and that's really complicated, right? That's really hard. Um, you know, there is a nice chapter um, in, uh, in this book, in the, in the David Schnall book, um, where he tries to um, sort of construct the ethical um, picture that might lead us to, if not a halachic answer, a halachically inspired answer, um, based on a series of laws that, um, you know, he calls the chapter the employee as corporate stakeholder, um, right, that, that, that talk about what, what morally is the rights of the employer, of the employee in the, the company, um, and what demands does that make? Um, in terms of salary, in terms of severance, in terms of, um, right, and he sort of, right, puts together several halacha to try to paint a picture. Um, it might be that, you know, my feeling in halacha, even though some might disagree, is that that might be the best we can do, right, is, is come up with a halachically inspired answer, uh, rather than a halachic mandate, um, right, where we're going to have to balance, um, you know, all the laws that, talk about the expectations of employers, um, the limits that halacha recognizes because of pragmatism, uh, the responsibilities of employees, um, and come up with some sort of, you know, fair, something fair, right? That, but it, again, it might not be, um, you know, there is nowhere in halacha that says, um, you know, definitely nowhere in the Gemara, right? There are, there's nowhere in the Gemara, there's nowhere in classic sources in Shulchan Aruch um, that says, you must pay this many dollars for this job. There just isn't. Um, there's an acknowledgement that there are norms, right? That there are jobs that um, get paid little and jobs that get paid a lot. There's an acknowledgement that once you've accepted a job, um, you, um, an employer can't just say, listen, I have, I, can I switch you to another job that uh, at the same salary um, for harder work? Um, because that's not fair, right? You committed to to a job at which is at a certain salary, right? So there's discussions about that, about switching salaries, about switching jobs, about, um, you know, there, there, there are discussions about that in terms of acknowledgement of normal fair way of the, the wages that are normally paid, which are commensurate to effort. Um, but 
there's never, you know, there's no Gemara, no Mishnah, no nothing that says this is the fair wage, right? It acknowledges that a cucumber worker, a, a watchman, which is the Gemara's example of the least paid worker, because apparently it wasn't hard to watch cucumbers, I, which I sort of get. I mean, they're not running away and <laughs> not running away. And, and you know, cucumbers, not what people are running to steal. Um, that's like its example at one extreme. I mean, the other extreme are, are hard laborers um, or expert laborers like, um, like uh, jewelry makers who know how to work with delicate pearls, right? So the Gemara recognizes the difference between these two, um, but it never says how we got there. It's just sort of a given that obviously society pays differently. Um, so honestly, to me, the, the, the main reason that I didn't, as much as minimum wage and fair wage is a really important topic, the reason I, I didn't originally put it in the six topics, I'd given here like 10 different topics, we'd pick six of them. Um, but the reason we didn't put, I, I didn't put that is to me, it's, it's like a black box. It's like, you know, when you're in halacha, it, you're struggling. It's much more of a general picture. Um, but there isn't, you know, and it really is amazing. Um, I, I don't know why, right? I don't know if it's because um, it's impossible um, because things change all the time and what's fair, um, you know, a thousand years ago is not fair now. I don't know if it's because for most of human history, um, all people were living on the cusp of starvation with the exception of, of, of you know, the rich few uh, and therefore demanding higher wages, which is not realistic, right? And therefore it just wasn't something Halacha could talk about. You know, I honestly don't know. I, I, I don't know, but- um, Can I suggest you know, that the difference is, is scale? You know, I mean, I think the one thing that is not in these texts, in these ancient texts, is Amazon. You know, these these companies, multinational companies that depend on literally armies of underpaid workers. So I understand how off topic, how completely off topic that is. But if so, we so get, I, I'm not. It's not off topic, right? Nothing here is off topic. Meaning, well, anyway, if we could get there, that that would be look, my deep. There's my nothing deep off topic in the sense that 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 my goal in the next six weeks is to take representative topics that sort of. Um, you know, sketch out the contours of this relationship, um, but it's not done. And that's why I'm, you know, I will throw out, I will send out at some point, I think in addition to the sources, but I will send out, I, I wrote one up, uh, a reading list of suggestions of, of, you know, for people who want to further. And like I said, this one is a great book. It's really accessible. Um, um, the Hebrew ones are much less accessible, um, but there really are good works out there. Um, there's a lot. I mean, there are many, many, I can send a list of it. Um, you know, and I, I will. I, I wrote a list. I can make a more complete list um, of reading of reading. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, next week what we'll talk about, um, and you know, again, this doesn't directly answer your question, but next, but we, but it, you'll see that it sort of does. Um, we're going to address a claim. I think it's next week, unless it's in two weeks. I think it's next week. Um, I think so. Um, when we get to yeah, it's next week when we do um, paying workers on time. Um, a claim by, by Benny Brown, um, basically arguing that um, the 20th century or late 19th century is the first time in Jewish history that any Jew, posig, any Jewish authority, legal authority, actually thought about um, workers' rights as a category, right? Rather than like a collection of laws that happen to exist. Um, and he argues, I think, compellingly that, um, as we'll see, 
the, 20, the late 19th and early 20th century at, with industrialization and all the philosophers who are thinking about these, right? Whether it be Adam Smith or Marx or Engels or uh, across the spectrum, you know, earlier and then obviously later, um, the world suddenly thought about these questions in a more systematic way. Um, and he argues the first person to really do this was the Mishnah, was, was the Chavetz Chaim in, um, in Avad Chesed in a book um, which is devoted 50% to, um, to paying workers on time. Um, and he notes that the moves that the Chavetz Chaim makes um, are clear moves at developing an ethic, halachic ethic of workers' rights, which didn't exist as a body of halachic thought in that systematized way until the world thought that way. Um, I think he's right. But I also think that means that it's not only in that context. I think the fact that this wasn't how the world thought, um, um, and part of it is, yeah, because it wasn't the Industrial Revolution, and part of it is because, as you note, there weren't, you know, multinational com you know, companies. Um, the employer-employee relationship wasn't that different from any other contract I have with my neighbor, right? Because you weren't hiring that many people, right? So I make a contract with my, my neighbor for rent, I make a contract with a neighbor for work. And, you know, these are similar laws. The idea that like workers are a different category and therefore de deserve the discussion that you're bringing up, Lisa, um, I agree with you, is just sort of like, you know, not discussed until the 20th century. Um, and that really complicates it. So I wish that I could have given a sheer, again, if in the next few weeks, I have to drop one of the topics and switch to this because there's, de there's demand and I can feel comfortable um, presenting in a way they think is authentic um, and I'm not like making things up, um, then I will. Um, you know, I have some topics that I think are interesting, but admittedly are less central. Like in theory, week five or six is, um, is whistleblowing, um, which I think is a fascinating ethical question. Um, but, you know, if, if I drop whistleblowing for, you know, for this question, um, because of popular demand, I'm okay with that. Um, um, but like, you know, but again, I, I'm, you know, I know I'm rambling a little bit at this point, so I'm going to stop. But yeah, at some point I'm struggling through this issue as, as well, right? It, where I don't think there's a, there's a good answer um, that I found anyways so far. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Anyone else, even though I'm over time, but Evie, thank you. Um, yeah, well, uh, standing, staying on extra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course, we always allot uh, about 15 minutes for questions. I think we're probably at the end of that time today, yeah. uh, but it's always, uh, we're always going to allow uh, 15 minutes. And then, of course, uh, additional questions can be um, followed up with you. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your contact information. So, I think for today, we'll just close it and have some time to digest. Uh, so, thank you so, so, so much uh, for this interesting class, Rabbi Zering. Really, really um, thank you, enjoyable always, and, always great. And, and appreciate it. And thank you so much also to uh, for everyone who joined us today here on Zoom, on Facebook, and also on Dresha Live. Uh, so nice to have everyone. However you join us, uh, we love having you with us. Um, I'm really looking forward to the second part of this class, which will take place uh, next Wednesday. Uh, our next live class is uh, this Sunday, February 27th at 10 a.m. It is a, cl a class, an ongoing class uh, with Rabbi uh, David Silber on Becoming Israel, the Return of Jacob. I believe uh, it started uh, uh, early February and it's going until April. Uh, of course, you're always welcome to uh, find out more information about our current and upcoming class uh, offerings. 
as well as the registration links. Uh, it's all available on our website, www.drisha.org slash classes. Uh, you can also watch all of the classes live uh, on uh, www.drisha.org slash live. Uh, thank you again, uh, Rabbi Ziering, for this wonderful opportunity to learn with you again. And uh, again, thanks to uh, everyone who uh, joined us. We're really looking forward to uh, looking, um, seeing you uh, next Wednesday and, and any upcoming class here at Risha. Yeah.